Amen. Praise the Lord. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Micah. The book of Micah. And so don't stand just yet. I'll let you have a moment to find that. And if you're new, it might be a little bit challenging to locate. And so it's a small book in the last half of the Old Testament. And uh, so the book of Micah in chapter number six. And so uh, it's good, Brother Harmon, that you got to see uh, the Canlone family roll in. And all I can say is that if you're going to work in the Dominican Republic, you better get used to the concept of island time. Uh, and so uh, I saw them sneak in about partway through the choir song. Uh, and so it's great to have them uh, in their place over there. And so and I'm glad that you love the people there that God's called you to spend some time with them after the service. Adriana will challenge that love. Cesar will make it easy. Uh, and so uh, but no, we praise the Lord for what God's done in their family, in their life. And over the last several years here, it's been a wonderful blessing to us to see uh, them growing in the grace of our Savior. Micah chapter number 6, if you found your place there, let's stand together. Um, we're going to look here at almost the entire chapter. I think we'll stop at verse number 15. Uh, and so if you haven't found it or if you don't have your Bible with you, you should be able to find it in your notes. It was in your bulletin when you came in this morning. Uh, but Micah chapter number 6, the Bible says, Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. O my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and redeemed thee out of the house of servants. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Bala king of Moab consulted, and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. Wherewithal shall I come before the Lord, and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him? with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. The Lord's voice crieth unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? Are there yet treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked, and the scant measure that is abominable? Shall I count them pure with the wicked balances, and with the bag of deceitful weights? For the rich men thereof are full of violence, and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore also will I make thee sick in smiting thee, in making thee desolate because of thy sins. Thou shalt eat, but not be satisfied. And thy casting down shall be in the midst of thee. And thou shalt take hold, but shall not deliver. And that which thou deliverest will I give up to the sword. Thou shalt sow, but thou shalt not reap. Thou shalt tread the olives, but thou shalt not anoint thee with oil. Thou sweet wine, and sweet wine, but thou shalt not drink wine. For the statutes of Omri are kept, and all the works of the house of Ahab, and ye walk in their counsels, that I should make thee a desolation in the inhabitants thereof, and hissing thereof, and ye shall bear the reproach of my people. I want to speak to you this morning on this simple thought, the effects of sin. The effects of sin. Let's pray. Fathers, we come to you, Lord, we thank you for the wonderful day that you've given us. Thank you for uh, the safety of your people here throughout this past week with the flooding, the storms. And Lord, though many have much to cope with, we thank you that uh, that you spared us. Uh, and Lord, I pray that you would continue to keep your hand of blessing and power upon this place, that you would speak to our hearts. May they be open this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray for those that have been less fortunate in this storm than we've been, that you would meet their needs, that you would uh, send help their way where it's needed, or that you would comfort those that have suffered loss. Now, Lord, as we turn our attention now unto your word, may our hearts be cleared of all of the, the things of this world. 
And may we just simply come before you and open our hearts to you and ask you to speak to us. Holy Spirit, we need you. Uh, We need your convicting power in our lives. May you show us and examine our lives this morning. Show us your truth. In Jesus' name and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. If we look at this little Old Testament prophet here, uh, it seems small, but he really covers a great deal of material or, or time frame. It's about uh, 40 years of ministry that is rel- that's, that he's covering here. He's a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah, uh, and though he's from Judah, his message primarily is to the people of Samaria in Israel. And so he uh, is of Judah, but is preaching primarily to the to the capital of Israel, uh, just to his north in Samaria. And uh, he begins here by, uh, by just giving this message. This is what God is saying to you. Then he responds to that. Uh, and then he shares with them the plea that God is laying out there. I would say this morning as we get started that uh, we need to be cautious that we have not grown in our own lives so insensitive to sin that we that we bought into the idea of this world that uh, that sin has no consequence or that sin has no effect. I would say this morning and I hope that you'll see through the message this morning that every one of our lives today are affected by sin uh, since the creation Since the fall of man, the earth and every person on it have been affected by sin. I'll go farther than that this morning. Not only has earth been affected by sin, but heaven has been affected by sin. The effects of sin have been felt throughout every uh, every realm of God's existence and creation. Newton's third law of motion states that for every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction. It is a law. It's been proven. Uh, It is something that just to, to, to point out that everything that I do has an effect. That effect can be positive. That effect can be negative. Uh, in some in some people's lives, it can be uh, you know it can be positive to some and negative to others. Uh, but all of that is the ramification of the fact that sin causes an effect. And I think that we need to be mindful uh, of the effect that sin can cause on the earth and in our lives and how it impacts those around us. Uh, there is nothing in existence that has escaped it. Consider this morning, if you will, the creation has been affected. It's been cursed. God told us early on in Genesis, right after the fall, as Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, that they that the earth was cursed, that the earth that before uh, knew uh, no suffering, that everything was perfect, the climate was perfect, and uh, they didn't have to deal with humidity like we do. Uh, they had to, uh, and they didn't have to deal with rain like we do. They didn't have to worry about those types of things. Everything was just. Perfect. They could go out and they could uh, they could uh, be with the wildlife and and everything was in harmony. They could go out and they could uh, they could pluck a rose and not have to worry about a thorn. They could uh, see a wasp or a bee and not have to worry about a sting. All of those things are, are a result. All of those unpleasantries are a result of uh, the effect of sin upon the earth. When God uh, pronounced that the sin has cursed the earth and has cursed mankind then we were affected. Man is affected in the fact that we have been, because of our sin, condemned. We are, and we are born in a state of condemnation. We are uh, not condemned after we sin, but we are, in fact, born in sin. And because we are born in sin, uh, then we stand condemned. Consider John uh, chapter 3 and verse number 17. Uh, We love verse number 16, uh, but we often stop there. But verse 17 says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. In verse 18, But he that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. My point simply is this, is that the earth and that man has been has been affected by sin, and our the effect of sin upon us in our natural state is condemnation. We stand condemned before God. 
Every person is born condemned before God. Every person that, that does not come to a point in their life in which they acknowledge their sin and they repent of it and turn to God and receive the gift of salvation that He's offered through the blood of His Savior and our, His Son, Jesus Christ, uh, will go out into eternity in a state of condemnation. Not because they sinned, but because they were born in sin, a sinner. It's about our position we're not trust Jesus as Savior, then we are not a part of His family. We have not been born again, born a part of what God is. We have not been changed from our natural state to a spiritual state. Then when we leave this life, we stand in a condemned state. Listen, I, I just I want to emphasize this morning that there are people that every one of us would look at and say, that is a good, upstanding a uh, great person. They're kind. They're compassionate. Uh, they're uh, they're honest. All of those things. But I'm just telling you this morning that none of that matters. It's. A, I mean, it, we should be that way, and it's commendable that people are that way. Those that are. Uh, but I'm saying that my my eternal destination is not going to be determined by whether or not I'm good and honest and upright. It's going to be determined by have I let God's Holy Spirit transform me from a state of condemnation into a state of salvation. I have to receive that gift. I have to acknowledge my need. And all of that is because we have been affected by sin. All of it. All sickness. I have folks in my house that are sick this morning. Flu-like symptoms. I'm glad I'm not one of them yet. I hope the Lord will spare me. But I'm just saying that all of those things that we endure, all of the disease, all of the cancer, all of the uh, leprosy, we think of olden times, but it's that's still a disease that exists in the East. Uh, all of the things that we have to deal with, all of the murder, all of the unkindness, all of the cruelty, all of that, None of that is from God. All of it is a part of the effects of sin upon the earth. Man has been affected. Hell has been affected by sin. Do you realize that hell is being populated by the souls of those who reject Christ as their Savior, but they were never intended to go there? Hell was not created uh, to receive the souls of man. Hell was created uh, to receive the demons that fell from heaven, the angels that rejected Christ. But when man refused to accept a Savior... It's where they were directed. Hell was affected because it imprisons unintended inmates. I would say this morning that heaven has been affected. Some of its citizens were banished. One third of the angels that God created to minister and to worship uh, were expelled because of sin. Satan led the charge and, uh, and, uh, and we were banished. We've been affected in the fact and heaven's citizens and, uh, has been, have been affected in the fact that it's the will of God that every person would come to know Jesus as their Savior. The Bible tells that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, it is the will of God that every soul would receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. God intends for no one to spend eternity in hell. And therefore, God intended for everyone to spend eternity with Him in heaven. Heaven's citizenship has been affected. It's been impacted because of the effect of sin. God was affected. He has been deprived of his dream. He has been deprived of the creation that he made for himself. He's been deprived of the relationship that he would desire to have uh, with, uh, in some cases, even good Christians because we just seem to struggle to ever be the kind of Christian that God really wanted us to be in the first place. But those that never receive him, he never has that relationship that he created man for, that he longed for, that friendship that he desired to have uh, with mankind. He wants that relationship with every man, every woman, every child. But not everyone will accept him. I would say this morning that God never intended for Satan to rebel. That wasn't his intention. God never intended for man to fall, for man to sin. Now, I understand that God in his omniscience knew what was going to take place when he created. But that doesn't mean that that was the desire of his heart. 
He looked at that and still loved us enough that he was willing to do what was necessary to reconcile us back to himself, to give us every opportunity to escape the effects of sin. Uh, when we leave this life and we uh, come into his presence, God's desire uh, was never for the rebellion of the angels or for the fall of man. God's desire was fellowship. God's desire was to commune with us. God's desire uh, was to uh, to live in harmony with us and fellowship with us, to uh, be our blessing and uh, and to care for us. Micah gives his message here. And as Micah begins to preach this sermon, he uh, is speaking on behalf of God. As we see in verse number 1 of chapter 6, Hear ye now what the Lord saith, Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong fountain foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. Boy, I tell you, that's not a place that I I want to stand in a place where the great God of heaven looks down at me, the great creator, and says, I've got a problem with you. You know, we tend to think, well, God's love and God's just all lovey-dovey and he'll just pop, up up in a, pop us up in his lap. And I'm glad that God is love, but I can't discount the fact that God is also uh, angry and wrathful and has uh, exercised justice and judgment upon sin. You cannot separate one character trait from God and make it the be-all and end-all of his existence. You have to take God in his entirety. And God demands justice. God demands that sin be paid for. God demands that man turn from his sin and turn to him. And he sent Jesus Christ to Calvary's cross, the perfect and only acceptable sacrifice to appease his wrath and to satisfy his justice. That if we'll turn to him, he'll save our souls, forgiving our sin and enter into that relationship with him. He uh, continues down uh, through verse number five, detailing the controversy, pleading with them, wanting to extend to them grace and mercy. And that's a beautiful thing that you see about God. Even through times where he's proclaiming judgment, what you see always is that in the midst of God's proclamation of coming judgment is an opportunity and an offer for the people to repent and to be spared of that judgment through his mercy and his grace. God is not a God that's walking around seeking to bring judgment. He's a God who's walking around looking for every possibility and excuse to offer grace and mercy. But he cannot sacrifice the integrity of who he is. And he addresses with a heavy hand integrity in this passage. God desires this fellowship. God has a controversy with his people. And the controversy that he has with his people has to do with their sin. It has to do with what I've done for you, what I've offered you, the plan I've laid out before you. I've given you all of this. Where have I failed you, he says. He says, oh, my people, in verse 3, what have I done unto thee and wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. Make your case, God says. If I've failed you in some way, if I've not provided for you in some way, if I've not made what's necessary clear to you in some way, plead your case against me. But I brought you up out of Egypt. I provided you with leadership. I provided you with my word. You can testify against me. But the truth of the matter is, is that I am God and I am holy and I'm perfect. And I cannot be denied. So he puts out the message of his controversy. Where have I failed you? Micah then in verses 6 through 9 begins to offer a reply detailing to the people and to, on God's behalf what the response should be in giving what God's requirements are, what God's looking for, what God's expectation from them is. Hath he showed thee, verse number eight, O man, what is good? Or he has showed thee, O man, what is good? And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? Amen. He wants to walk with us. 
He wants to walk with us in, in compassion. He wants to walk with us in purity. He wants to walk with us uh, as we look at ourselves openly and honestly and allow Him to, to bring judgment in our lives and to show us when we've strayed and when we failed Him so He can gently bring us back into fellowship rather than having to have uh, an exercise of severe judgment and chastisement. He wants to give love and, uh, and extend that mercy. Micah simply points out, listen, God uh, wants to do, He doesn't want to bring this down upon us. He wants to bring mercy, but He wants us to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with Him. God makes a plea in verses 10 through 15. Repent or face the consequences. Turn from your sin and turn to me or face the consequences or the effects, if you will of the sin that you have chosen. Three points this morning uh, as we look at this. The first thing I'd like for you to consider is that sin has affected man's judgment. Sin has affected man's judgment. If you you know the Lord, if you've walked with the Lord at any time at all, it's not hard to understand that we live in a world that is very devoid of the ability to make any kind of a righteous judgment. It's, it's, it's always been bad. Uh, it seems to me that it's worse now than it was whenever I was young. Uh, but, uh, but just overall, uh, man does not make good judgments and man never has, or we wouldn't have had a problem in the Garden of Eden. Uh, and so, uh, the reality is, is that sin has affected our ability to reason. And when I deal with my life, when I deal with my circumstances, when I deal with my co-laborers, when I deal with my God, when I deal with myself, the reality is is that my ability to reason has been corrupted if I'm walking and living and embracing sin. The effect of sin on us is that our ability to reason becomes tainted. He details that here. Consider in verse number 10, are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is abominable. Shall I count them pure with the wicked balances and with the bag of deceitful weights? Now you have to understand here that we uh, we live in such an automated society that now you go and you buy something at the store that's going to be uh, that's going to be sold to you by uh, by the pound. Uh, you simply lay it on the scale at the register. Used to, and they oftentimes will have scale in the produce section where you can uh, kind of get a measurement of how much you're getting, so you have an idea of what the cost is going to be when you go to check out. And then when you check out, you go. And I've gotten to the point where about 90% of the time, even if I have a lot of stuff, I just do the self-checkout thing uh, and so that I can get through the line a little quicker. And uh, you got to put in the, uh, the code. And if it's something that's by the pound, it's got to be weighed. And in their time, there were a lot of people that were notorious for having unjust weights. They would have a weight that would measure falsely. It would be marked as, uh, as one, but it would, it would, the actual weight would be different so that they could steal from the people. So that you would pay for, uh, three pounds, but only get two. So my wife has a particular fruit that she likes and it's only ripe from July till, uh, till early September. Uh, and the farmer's market down in Airport Drive will get them about late July. They'll start getting some in. And, uh, and we'll generally about once a year, sometimes twice, we'll make the drive down there and, uh, and we'll go in and we'll pick up some of that little fruit from, uh, from most of what's there is not coming from Puerto Rico. And occasionally we've ordered it from the island. Uh, but it's, it's something that she kind of grew up just, uh, loving. We'll make the trip down there. Well, they always count it out and they always put it in the scale and, uh, and man, are they proud of it. It's six bucks a pound and about 80% of it's the, the peel around it. Uh, and so, I mean, it's just like every year it goes up a dollar they put the scale and you can watch the scale. And in those types of places, you kind of sometimes have to be careful to make sure that that's a true scale, that it's actually measuring. You notice when you pump gas, there's a little sticker on there that says that the department of commerce or whoever's been by to, uh, to certify that pump to make sure that when it says it's giving you a gallon that you're getting a gallon. That's what God's talking about here. 
He said, when you, when you be just in your business, be just in your evaluation, be just in the way that you conduct things. And what his point is this, his point is, Brother Frankie, is that even man is not even just and doesn't use just weights, if you will, in his own measure of his self, of himself, let alone his measure of God. We tend to look at things in a way that taints it in our favor, that puts it, that balances the scale to our benefit rather than looking at it honestly and objectively. What's the danger in that, Pastor? Well, the danger is, is that if I don't see things the way the judge sees them, then I'm not going to like the result. I'm not going to understand the result. Isn't it amazing how many people that live in sin and, and can't get past the fact that, well, if God is this, then how could this happen? It's, it's, it's really sometimes kind of mind-boggling that people would still think that way. But the reality is, is that they think that way because they have an unjust scale. Their ability to reason has been tainted because their spiritual understanding and their, uh, and their carnal understanding that balances is unjust. That balance is corrupt. And what we need to understand is that the effect of sin upon us has caused us to use deceitful weights. Deceitful weights cause us to tamper with the truth to gain an advantage. How many times do we uh, convince ourselves that, well, I know what God said about this, but it's not that bad. I know what God has stated in his word, but is it really, Pastor, that big of a deal? I mean, after all, it's, it's 2019. Do we really still look and view this sin or that sin in the same light that we did, uh, you know, 30 years ago or 50 years ago or 75 years ago? My answer to that is just simply we better. Because God hasn't changed. Because God hasn't, hasn't, hasn't turned anything different in the Word of God. It's all just the same as when He gave it. It's all just the same as it's been since the beginning. In fact, the Word of God is eternal. It even predates our existence. We can't put any measure on it in time more than we can God. And that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Nothing will ever change with Him. And I can tamper with the things in my thinking, my logic, my reasoning, all I want. And I can slant it to my advantage where it makes me feel less guilty or less convicted uh, or have less of a problem with it. Uh, but the truth is, is that I cannot gain an advantage against God. Because He is a just judge. He is not corrupt. He cannot be bribed. He cannot be, uh, he cannot be uh, changed in his uh, execution of justice. And I, what I do to myself and what the effect of sin in my life is when I tamper with the truth in such a way is that I become dishonest with God. I'm saying to you this morning, you will never find the victory uh, in your life that was sung about in the song service this morning. You will never experience that until you are honest with God about your sinful condition. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with some type of an addiction, I'm just telling you, you will never, ever find freedom from that addiction until you get honest with God about the problem. If you have another sin in your life, maybe it's a, uh, it's a, it's a moral sin or moral issue. Maybe it's an integrity problem. Maybe it's a, a character flaw. Whatever the sin is that I have in my life and that you have in your life, there is no hope of ever gaining the victory over that sin in my life until I deal justly with that sin. Until I see it as God sees it. Until I'm willing to let the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God examine my life. God does not use deceitful weights. And when I tamper with the truth to gain an advantage, I'm being dishonest with God. What that causes is it causes me to live a facade to appease my own conscience. Too many people are living a lie. I like what Brother... Harmon said in his video about the people are, uh, are wrapped up in 
organized religion. And I'll just I plainly say it in a regular, fairly regular basis here that I believe that organized religions condemn more people to hell than many of the devil's devices. Amen. And just because something looks churchy or looks godly or looks Christ-like doesn't make it so. God's not interested in a bunch of sacrifices, though he commanded that sacrifices be made. He's interested in the relationship. He's interested in things being done in the sincerity of heart. He's interested in things being done justly with the right weight, with the right balance, with the right scale. Honestly, ascertaining what it is that I've done and what God has done and what God requires. To look appropriately deeply into my heart. To let God look deeply into my heart. And listen, I can live a fake pretend life all I want to, but the only person that is fooled is me. Satan's not fooled, God's not fooled, and most of the people in my life are not fooled. And we can walk around and we convince ourselves in great measure that we have uh, all kinds of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of peace with God uh, when we are no living in known sin, but we're living a facade, we're fake, we're artificial, we are not what God wants us to be. So we see a sin is affecting our judgment first that we use deceitful weights that tamper with the truth to, uh, to be dishonest with God. And then we live a facade being dishonest with self. And then we would say that uh, we treasure pleasure more than integrity. We live in a time where we treasure pleasure more than integrity. What is the effect of sin upon my judgment? Well, it causes me to use a deceitful weight and then it causes me to, to treasure the pleasuring of this flesh more than the integrity of my soul with God. You see it a lot of times that it's a maturity issue in many people's lives. And you see that just naturally in, uh, in, in children as they grow into adolescence. And what do most children that are, that we, what we would call culturally as a preteen or uh, an early teen, how often do we see that they're not really concerned about consequences? They're not concerned about costs. They're just concerned about going out and having a good time. A lot of times that carries over in many people into adulthood. They're not concerned about taking responsibility. They're not concerned about what the what the long-term ramifications are going to be. All they know is, hey, I want to have a good time. And then you see as people get older, they begin to kind of settle down. They've gone and they've sowed their wild oats, and now they value relationships in their life more, especially familial relationships. You know, we grow up and we're young and we can't wait to break free from our homes and uh, uh, the bondage of, uh, the, of the yoke of uh, parentage over us that God has put. And we go out and we, uh, we strive into adulthood. And, and by the way, done correctly, that's the way God intends it to be. It's what should happen. Uh, but if our attitude is, hey, I just want the yoke off of me, then that's what we see here. People go out and do all kinds of crazy things and wreck their body and wreck their mind and uh, abuse their body and make a mess out of their lives. And then all of a sudden they start hitting their 30s and their 40s and they start waking up and getting some sense and realizing, hey, I need to get my life fixed. I need to get my life squared away. I'm going to be losing my own children. I'm going to be suffering this consequence. I'm going to have to deal with this disease. And sometimes it's already too late. Point is this is that if I treasure pleasure more than I treasure my spiritual integrity and walk with God, then I'm in trouble. How do people get that way, Pastor? It's just simply the effects of sin upon us. And the whole point this morning is, listen, that sin affects us. Sin affects all of us. Sin affects everything that we do. It affects everywhere that we go. And if I don't understand that, then I can't break free and I can't counteract against those effects in my life. Number one, this morning, sin has affected our judgment. Number two, I would say that sin has affected man's journey. Sin has affected man's journey. I would say it starts with this, and you see it as he lays this out here in verses 12 and 13. For the rich men thereof are full of violence, and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore also will I make thee sick in smiting thee, and making thee desolate because of thy sins. Again, because of thy sins, the effect of sin. So what is the effect of sin? Well, it's affected our journey. Well, how? Well, what you see here is that what they're saying is they're saying, hey, uh, there's false weights here. Who can I trust? And when we live in a world where we're constantly questioning, who can I trust? If I can't trust my 
parents, if I can't trust my government, if I can't trust my employer, if I can't trust my uh, those that are close proximity and relationally with me in my life, then how am I ever going to trust God? If I can't trust those that I can see, how am I going to trust the one who I can't see? And so the, the, the problem and the effect of sin in our life is that it affects our journey by causing us to not trust. It all started with Eve when, when God said, if you eat of this fruit, you will die. Satan says, hath God said? Call it into question. Eve, do you really think you can trust God? And the problem is, is that sin in our lives and sin in the world around us has caused us to struggle at trusting God. You know the reason that we just go out and do the things that we want to do rather than adhering to what God has said is because we really don't believe that God is going to fulfill everything that He said He's going to fulfill. We believe that He's going to fulfill the good things. We believe that the blessing is going to come. But we fail to understand sometimes that if I do not, if I do not walk uprightly, justly with him, uh, that if I do not do what God has given me to do, if I don't, if I don't do justly love mercy and walk humbly with my God, then what I'm going to receive from God is not going to be pleasant. Because if I don't know him as my savior, it's only going to hasten my trip, my journey to hell. And if I do know him as my savior, it's going to hasten my journey to chastisement to his chastening hand, to his corrective hand, in love, bringing me back into fellowship with him. So who can I trust this morning? We really can't trust politicians. We can't trust too many businessmen, some. Sometimes it's hard to even find preachers that are, preachers that are trustworthy. And sometimes if we're wise, we even question whether or not we can trust ourselves. And that's really the whole point that he's laid out here leading into this, is that if we use an unjust weight, we aren't even trustworthy to ourselves. Our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, Jeremiah told us. So who can I trust? Sin affected my ability to trust. The one that I can always trust is Jesus. The one that will never fail is the Lord Jesus Christ. We see not only that, that our journey is affected because it becomes a desolate journey. A journey that is desolate is a journey that's empty. It's a journey that's lonely. It's a journey that's filled with devastation. And I think this morning, if you'll look into your life, and even if it seems like you've got everything collected and together on the outside, that if your life is overwhelmed by sin and by the effects of sin, and you've not found peace in Christ, that you may look like you've got all of the friends in the world and be the most lonely person that you know. That you may feel that you're a person who is, uh, that looks like on the outside that you've got all kinds of purpose and all kinds of things to offer, but yet when you go home and you pillow your head at night, you feel as if you're empty and you've got nothing to offer. That you come to a point in your life where you look around and maybe everything looks great outwardly, but inside you're devastated emotionally. You're devastated by the consequences, by the effects of sin in your life. So, Pastor, I'm just I'm not that out of control. I'm not that big of a sinner. It doesn't matter the size of the sin in the eyes of man. The reality is that the effect of sin in every relationship upon every person, upon every part of God's creation is there. And apart from his grace and mercy, I cannot escape it. I can't even cope with it and deal with it. I want you to notice what he says here uh, about, uh, about this emptiness, this loneliness, this devastation. Verse number 14, thou shalt eat but not be satisfied. You can consume all you want, but there's still an emptiness. And thy casting down shall be in the midst of thee, and thou shalt take hold but not deliver. You can't hang on to that uh, which was important. And that which thou deliverest will I give up to the sword. And if you do somehow manage to get a hold of it, then some evil is going to come and with a sword take it away. Desolate. A desolate man cannot be satisfied. A desolate journey is a journey that does not satisfy. Is your life satisfied this morning? Is your heart, is your peace, is your purpose, is your reason for being in existence satisfied? Secondly, I would say that what you do will be taken away. 
If I am not living for Christ, what I do will be taken away. Verse number 15 says, you'll sow but not reap. And I understand the law of sowing and reaping here. He's not countermanding that. What he's saying is, is that you can, you can go out and you can sow some corn out in the field, but there's going to be so much weed and so much garbage that grows up in the midst of it that it just can't produce any fruit. It's choked off. Choked off by the effects of that which is corrupt around it. Choked off by sin that overwhelms. Desolate. What we do will be taken away. You'll sow but not reap. You'll press the olive but have no anointing from God. Listen, we all need anointing from God. Thirdly, I would say this, that sin affected man's judge. Sin has affected our judgment, sin has affected our journey, and sin has affected our judge. Who is our judge? I'm not your judge this morning. I need to judge myself, but I'm not even my own judge this morning. There's only one judge, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. His opinion is the only one that matters. His law is the only one that matters. Uh, his understanding of who I am and what I am is all that matters. Uh, but I would say this morning that my attitude towards sin has affected the judge. What is he doing here? Mike is crying out to them and he's saying, listen, this is the condition of your, uh, of your present course. This is where you are. And this is what God has done. And this is what God wants to do for you. But you have sin in your life. You have sin that has overwhelmed you. And how you respond to this is going to determine how God responds to you. And the good news this morning is simply this, is that if the Holy Spirit of God convicts my heart this morning and shows me that I need to give my heart to Christ and I need to seek forgiveness for my sin and trust Him as my Savior, then the attitude of the judge is the attitude of mercy and grace and love. But if I reject Him, His attitude is death and destruction and condemnation. See, God... And what we experience for him has nothing to do with what God's desire is because God's desire is to save every soul. God's desire is to salvage every life. God's desire is to forgive every sin. His attitude is brought into bear by our decision. My attitude toward God's person and his law and his word and sin is going to affect the judge. If I come before the judge humbly, if I come before the judge with seeking forgiveness, if I come before the judge, then I'm going to find mercy. In our court system today, that might mean a reduced sentence, but in the courtroom of heaven, that means uh, a sentence that has been uh, taken away and laid on the account of the Lord Jesus Christ, that I stand there as if I had never sinned. That's what God wants to do for you. That's what God wants to do for me. Even as a Christian, if I know that Jesus has forgiven me, but my sin has overwhelmed my life and, and, and I just can't get a hold of things, that if I'll come before Him humbly before my God, seeking mercy and forgiveness, genuinely seeking to restore the relationship, then the response of the judge is always compassion and mercy and love. But if my attitude is, is cockiness and defiance and, uh, and how dare you tell me how to live my life and how dare you tell me what sin is and how dare you uh, come to me and say that this is what I should and shouldn't do and what I have to do and what I can't do. How dare you God tell that to me then what I'm going to find is God's wrath and God's anger. But God's attitude toward me, God's attitude toward sin in my life is completely determined by my response. When I directed a boy's home, we took in all these troubled boys, and I remember I oftentimes would tell them and say, you know, guys, especially when they're kind of in the check-in process, I hope that you have a good day today. And they'd look at me and they'd say, oh, Brother Dave, I hope you have a good day too. And I said, oh, I'm going to have a great day. You, your, your day is determined upon how you comply with the process here. But whether you comply with the process or not, I'm going to have a great day. You might have a miserable day, but it's not going to impact my day whatsoever. You choose. You see, I'll be 
Uh, And I would just tell him, Brother Wayne, I'm either going to be somebody that you just love to spend time with and love to go down to the ball court and play basketball with or love to go and do this with, or I'm going to be the person that you try to stay as far away from as you can. But that has nothing to do with me. That has everything to do with you. You choose. Listen, that's the way it is with God. You understand, God wants close fellowship. God wants a loving relationship. God wants to extend grace and compassion, but that's completely up to you. God is going to respond righteously and justly to my response to how I allow sin to affect my life. If I am unwilling to use a just weight, then I can resolve and I must understand that that sin is going to affect my judgment, my ability to reason. If I uh, do not let God alter my course, then sin is going to continue to affect my journey. And if I don't realize that how I respond is going to affect my judge, then I'm going to be in for a lifetime and maybe even an eternity of hurt. Because my sin and my attitude towards sin has affected the judge. And God's weights are always, God's weights are always true and just. They're always certified. They always deliver an accurate weight. My system of measurement doesn't always stand true. But God's does. Pastor, this is kind of doom and gloom this morning. Well, not really. Whether it's doom and gloom or whether it's shout hallelujah all the way home till lunchtime uh, is all determined on how you respond and how I respond to the message this morning. See, Micah has a strong message, but the the hoped-for outcome, the prayed-for outcome, the desired outcome by the prophet and his God that he represents is simply that we would repent and return to him so that what we experience is mercy and grace. Notice what he says in chapter number 7. If we would escape the effects of sin, we must simply repent from them and turn to God. Notice in verse 7. Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, when I fall. I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light and I shall behold his righteousness. What a great message of hope. You can look at me, enemy, and you can look at me as I seem cast down, as I seem defeated, as I seem overwhelmed, but my God is my salvation, and my God will bring me to the light, and my God will set my foot upon a rock, and my God will deliver me from the power and the effect of sin. Notice verse 18 and 19. Who is God? Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou wilt cast out all their sins into the deepest sea. What a wonderful God. God says, listen, You've been affected by sin, and that sin has affected your ability to reason. That sin has affected your ability to truly and justly weigh the consequence of sin. And that that sin and the effects of it has impacted your journey through life. It's affected your journey through this planet. And some of you are going to be affected all the way into the eternal abyss of hell. If you don't let God save your soul. And others are going to be impacted by living a life, in, in a, a Christian life, that is empty, that is shallow, that have never produces any fruit, uh, that is, that is uh, we, we pray, but we just don't feel like we can get an answer. We're disconnected from God because of the effect of sin until we repent and let God restore the fellowship. 
No matter what's your state this morning, no matter what my state this morning, God has uh, God has a desire to bring you into his fellowship, to birth you into his family, to change the outcome of your eternal destiny, whether it be from heaven or from hell uh, up to heaven or whether it be to heaven in disgrace or to heaven with rewards. That's what God wants to do. And I promise you this, if you if you never come to a place where you allow just wait to determine and show you the impact of the sin in your life, you'll never be free of it. But God, but God said, I want to show you mercy. I want to give you compassion. I want to I want to bring light when you fall into darkness. Listen, we're going to fall into darkness sometimes. We're going to have sin in our life. We're going to be overwhelmed at time and make bad decisions. God says, I'm not done with you. When you drift off into the darkness, I'm going to bring light. When you fall down, I'm going to pick you up. Whenever you respond to me, I'm going to respond to you. And what I'm going to see is not your sin, but my son. We can live in that victory. We can live in that freedom. And we can stand before God and have God look at us and say, not I have a controversy with you, but I have a blessing and a plan for you. Will we accept it? If you're here this morning and you'd say, Pastor, if I died today, I'm not sure that if I died right now that I would go to heaven. I don't know that for sure. I would say to you this morning that the most important decision that you'll ever make is to take out some just weights and to weigh your sin against his righteousness and come to the understanding that no matter how righteous you become, you'll never be as righteous as God. You'll always come up short. And there's nothing that you can do about it. But there's something he can do about it. And he's already done that something. And if you feel that in your heart, that drawing, that tugging, that's the Holy Spirit of God working on you, trying to draw you to a new relationship with your creator, a new relationship with the Savior, someone that wants to take you and say, hey, listen, you have been living under the power and the effect of sin. Let me draw you out and let me set you free. That's what God wants to do for you. What about you, Christian? You're a Christian, you know you're saved, you know you're on your way to heaven, but you just can't seem to get any traction to live a fruitful, meaningful, productive Christian life. You need to shake the effects of sin. And you need to let God set you at liberty from them. So that he is glorified, you are liberated, and fruit that remains can be produced. That's what God wants to do in your heart. That's what God wants to do in our church. That's what God. That's what, that's what brings God honor and glory. Listen, if I want to escape the effects of sin this morning, I must repent. I must turn to him. I must come to the realization that there is no God like him and that only he can turn again and have compassion upon me and can subdue my iniquity and can cast my sins into the depths of the sea. And he wants to do that for you too. Father, thank you for the time together this morning.